0: this is the social pros podcast the weekly show for real people doing real work in social media with your host jay bear of convince and convert and featuring jeff roars nick cicero from Expian, and great guests from the world of social media and content marketing social pros is sponsored by exact target a salesforce.com company Expian, jan ray Empowering personalized marketing with customer profile management and scission. Ready to learn from the pros? Let's get to
1: work. Welcome back, everyone. This is in fact Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am as always Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, joined by Jeffrey K. Roars Esquire of Exact Target and Nick Cicero from Expion. Boys. How are you today? Doing well.
2: Experiencing four seasons in one day. <laughs>
1: yeah, it seems that way. It was 82 here yesterday, and it's supposed to snow tonight, so we got that going for us, which is uh, disheartening, to say the least. We have not just one guest on the Big Social Pros podcast today. We have two guests, two powerhouses, two ladies who I am delighted to call friends. It is e. Katrina Walter, who is the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Brandarati, and her uh, sidekick, she's like, she's like the Sundance kid, uh in every good way, it is Jess Giulio who is the social media manager of Dunkin' Donuts and also a regular contributor to the Convince and Convert blog. Not only are these two ladies phenomenal in their own right, they came together. They they brought it together in a team, almost like a WWE wrestling team, to write the, <laughs> to write the new book. To write the new book, The Power of Visual Storytelling, How to Use Visuals, Videos, and Social Media to market your brand. Ladies, thanks so much for being here on the Big Social Pros podcast.
3: Thank you, Jay. Great to be here.
1: Tell us, tell us who is this book for? Um, Who, who did you write? What was sort of the audience that you had in mind when you guys uh, put this book together?
3: It is owners of businesses, small, medium, or large, who want to find new and innovative ways to market their brands and stand out stand out from the noise. Um, that was our idea of um, a book to bring to to folks that talks about how do now consumers really consume the information, um, what are they looking for, how why visual is so important, and um, and how to do it. So what are the tools, what are the tips, what are the case studies but um, because the reality is that we all live in the age of infibicity right and and our attention spans a tiny now it's three to eight seconds um, and it's shrinking every year um, and, and honestly to be honest with your brains process visuals better, 60,000 times faster um, than text, and we've always been, you know, humans always been so visual, and so with the amount of information that's being now cranked out and produced every day, and the people try to consume, how do you market your brand, um, and how do you stand out, and we, we believe that visual storytelling is one of the ways you do.
1: Well, it's a terrific book and it's incredibly useful. One of the things that I particularly like about this book is that it it breaks it down by channels. It says, here's what you should do on Facebook. Here's what you should do on Pinterest. Here's what you should do on Vine. Um, Jessica, are, are there... Specific types of visual storytelling other than the obvious photos versus videos, but are there specific sort of styles or norms that that really tend to work better on one platform uh, versus another and and are those norms changing over time?
4: Absolutely. You know, I think it kind of comes down to the brand that you are, you know, what your overall goals and strategy are for your social media program. You know, each channel has best practices. One thing that we say um, you know, in the book is really to personalize and not spray because I think the tendency um, of some marketers is, you know, there is so much content coming out there. If if you look at the the sphere of content that comes out in one minute in the internet across each channel, you know, it can feel very daunting. Um, But what we tell marketers is really to understand the best practices of the platform and and really, um, you know, what your goals and strategy are because for Facebook, you know, you want to know who your audience is on Facebook versus your audience on Instagram might be more of a younger millennial audience who favor certain types of visuals. Um, You know, Vine might be a great real-time video supplement to share across Twitter. So there are different things that you can do and we really delve deeply into each platform in the book plus we give different case studies so you know something we talk about is how dunkin donuts used vine to supplement um our monday night countdown and monday night football media buy so we were actually able to make a much more interactive experience and actually enter the game in um, the chatter about football in real time in a way that you might not expect from Dunkin Donuts but we created these great vines um, based on plays from Monday Night Football which starring coffee cups reenacting key plays and that was you know such a huge win for us but we to get to that point we really looked at how our fans were using the platform how our fans were engaging on Twitter and saw that great cross promotional opportunity. Um, another great example is with Instagram it's so wonderful for taking photos on the fly so we share a lot of great behind the scenes content of what's happening in our office or a great video of a recipe we're whipping up in our test kitchen um, versus you know Facebook you might see a different kind of content that appeals to the demographics that we have on Facebook. So if you're able to tweak and personalize um, You know, I think you'll really go a lot farther than you will just spraying across all platforms universally.
1: Jess, what would you say today is the most uh, misused of the of the visual platforms? Is there one you're like, you know what, more often than not, people really just don't have this one figured out yet.
4: You know, I think, uh, I'd be curious to hear what Ekatrina says on this, but I think for me, I think it's just understanding how the platforms work. One thing I see uh, companies and users do a lot is sharing from Instagram to Twitter. And just the way Twitter works, it's not a great user experience because if you actually upload pictures through Twitter directly or you use kind of a a tool that's, um, you know, that you can kind of pre-program content beforehand like a buffer or, um, you know, another kind of tool. We use Enterprise Co-Tweet for Duncan. but um, I would say that with Instagram sharing directly to Twitter, it doesn't drop down naturally under the tweet. And you, if you click on the link from Instagram and Twitter, it brings you away from the Twitter platform into Instagram. So it's not a great user experience unless you're strategically trying to grow your Instagram following.
1: That's a good answer. And that's interesting because it didn't used to be that way. Right. And then Twitter said, you know what, we're not going to show Instagram here natively now that you're owned by Facebook. And now that sort of changes the best practices. And I think that's an important note here is that, um, you know, the best practices today aren't necessarily uh, the best practices tomorrow. Did that, um, uh, Katrina, kind of concern you when you're putting out a book like this? You're like, great book. And we want this book to be relevant, and it is massively, definitely, hugely relevant right now. Um, but I assume you're thinking, hey, we're going to need to do version 2.0 of this book at some point.
3: Yes, it's definitely something that came up to, came up, uh, in our conversations when Jess and I talked about it. Um, so that is the reason why we try to make the book a little bit more of a book that lasts a little longer, right? So more, add longevity to the book. So there's a chapter on specifically how to define strategy, which is very basics of things that you need to think through that don't change. Um, definitely a chapter on different platforms. Some of the things will shift, but a lot of case studies, a lot of approaches for both small businesses and lo- and large corporations that we talk about, they they also tend and, and meant to serve as an inspiration for you to not just say, well, you know what? Let me copy this but also what can I come up with creatively that would also provide me that sort of exposure or that result so one of the new things um, that we talk about is utilization of cartoons um, and, and what um, Marketers that use cartoons, not just in their advertising, but also in their email marketing campaigns, found is that with the consistent utilization of cartoons, the the open rates of op- email open rates, um, they jump from an average industry five to eight percent and And that's really good, you know to forty five to fifty percent and so with showing different types of um of ideas, different types of of um just visuals and rich media, we wanted to give a broader spectrum of here's not just the tips but also the tools that allow you to do interesting things in the upcoming you know year or two, and then from there, obviously there's always something that needs to be updated, but hopefully it's a combination of a book that you come back to, not just for. You know how to define your strategy, but also for a little bit of inspiration, looking back and and figuring out what is the mixture of all those types that that you can use in your marketing strategy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it really is that book. It it is very much accomplished that objective. That it's it's one of the few books that I actually keep uh, on my desk. Right, which which almost never happens because I always find oh, myself very good. I find myself what flipping to different that? chapters. I'm like, hey, what what did they what was what was their, was there a cheat sheet about this particular thing as I'm creating content or giving advice to clients? Um, you, Katrina, um, formerly were at Intel and and helped build their uh, social media team globally. And so you have hired or been around a lot of social media practitioners, a lot of social pros, if you will excuse the self-referential statement. Um, <laughs> I I have said this um, on the show in the past and with other people uh, that I think it's a really interesting time because it wasn't that long ago when you were looking to hire somebody to be a social media professional in your organization, you in many cases looked for good writing skills. Um, And now, while that's not as important, I would argue, and your book might ratify this, that that visual thinking skills and being able to communicate visually and uh, take photos and edit photos and be at least and a video has become a much bigger part of the social media landscape. Do you think um, that changes what people should be looking for uh, when, when hiring social media team members?
3: Um, great question. I believe it adds to it. And, and, and here's how. I still think blogs are highly influential because that's the content people looking for when they want in-depth information. So that won't change as much what does change is a newsfeed mentality so the way we consume content isn't here's a link to the blog post anymore which that's what it used to be right now the newsfeed literally scrolls in front of your eyes and updates every single second right so the lifespan of a tweet is what it, you know eight hours if you're lucky um, actually it might it's mostly an hour and that's it if not half an hour you know facebook post is a little longer about you know twenty some hours but the reality is because of that newsfeed mentality Mentality and that newsfeed way of consuming information to stand out in that sort of scrolling list of of, of data visuals and videos serve as a very great filter of of that so if you catch a a view of a visual that you really um, associate with or relate to or emotionally connect with you are more likely to click through and read more detailed information report, study you know whatever that is but but you're right you know with the um, with the launch of tumblr and medium which are more platforms for very shorter form but also more visual content um, I I think our blogs and and our sort of the the uh, longer form information becomes shorter form information but there's always that always needs to be um, Accompanied by a snackable type, right? So uh, a snackable cartoon or a quote or statistics that's overlaid on top of something visual, a quick infographic to to help people want to consume more if this is something that's relevant. So the way I see the skill sh- sh- skill set shifting and changing is you still need strong writing um, background just because even making a short 140 character headline is a hell of a work, right? Uh, it's it's very important. But you do need to think through how does your not only content, how do you create that content, but how is it traveled across different networks and how is it consumed? So, what I see corporations do is hire more, not just visual artists, but more of pu- people with a publishing background and publishing thinking because it's not just about which content you create and which context you put it in it's about speed too so it's what is that real-time mentality of producing the right content and the right time for the right audience in the right format
2: Ian Jess this is uh, Jeff Roars here my question is one of professional versus amateur content which used to be you know something that I think kept a lot of brands from experimenting because they had in their minds this high bar of what uh, marketing visual content had been, and then consumer-generated content across many of the channels we we're discussing came about, uh, and it it opened up the floodgates to new ways of interacting with consumers, with perhaps uh, less effort put in, less of that, you know, "quote unquote" professional touch. But I'm intrigued with you know all of the research and the thinking that you've done about this. Where where does you know, professional quality, you mentioned, you know, kind of cartoons, but where where do you feel that dividing line is and that a company should invest, be it in a professional photographer or a cartoonist or other places, that it adds that extra value as opposed to just more of the, you know, kind of selfie, um, you know, taken on the fly kind of imagery um, that, that also can resonate?
4: Sure. You know, I think the magic for for me has always been in the mix, and um, you know, I think when you look at your content strategy holistically, it really depends what type of company you are, and. You know, um, I think sometimes when you're trying to really specifically showcase a product and do a demo, you know, you might want more sophisticated content. Um, but it depends on the service that you provide, right? Because we we talk about tech in the book, and everyone's kind of heard this case study before. But you know, that was user generated content at its finest, but produced from you know the back you know the back uh, kind of test area, um, test kitchen area of their um, office, and how. how what was so beautiful about it? It was raw. It was unfiltered, and it really showed what the product could do. And certainly, the videos got more polished as the the program went along. But it was hugely successful in terms of storytelling about what their product could do. And you know, when you look at it from a brand like Dunkin' Donuts, we really, you know, we really subscribe to that belief that the magic is in the mix. You know, there are some things that will plan out a bit more and will be much more polished, polished and high production. But we love user generated content our whole mantra is to celebrate our fans and how they run on Duncan so what better way to celebrate your passionate community than really leveraging their content and and giving it a home and and calling out and celebrating the fans that submit it so we really look for those kind of opportunities and you know it's interesting if you look at the data and I think you know, it obviously depends on what kind of brand you are, but I just read the other week, um, you know, it, an article on Mashable talking about millennials and user-generated media and them finding it about 50% more trustworthy than kind of more polished, produced content. So, you know, again, I think it comes back to what type of brand you are, but um, I think, you know, if you're going to do user-generated content, the best way to do it is to just... Really make sure the product is featured in the best light. Um, If you're a food brand like we are, you know, we always look for appetite appeal. We take a picture of something ourselves or take a user's picture. You know, does that look authentically like the product looks in store? Would it be something that I'd want to consume? You know, really kind of think through those kind of avenues. But I do think in general with your content strategy, user-generated content is a great way to... um, to kind of look at the content buckets that your fans are most frequently producing, the topics that they're looking at the most, and you know, that might even inspire you to produce take go back to the brand and produce a mix of that content or frequently asked questions or certain things inspired by that content and what and what they're looking at and how they produce it.
2: Absolutely. So one other question that that kind of flowed out of out of your answer that I was thinking about was where do you feel, and we, we have a number of, of agency listeners out there, where can an external agency add value in this video or this video or visual asset creation versus when you should own it in-house? Uh, I know that's not always a clear dividing line, but you know maybe you can offer some insights that you've learned or, or things that you've seen uh, in, in talking with the brands around the book.
4: Yeah, sure. I can offer some examples too. So I think, um, you know, I think... As a as a big company, you rely on your agency partners heavily. You know, you know, a brand like Duncan, we have uh, we you know to Katrina's point. We look for people that are phenomenal content producers and have you know the ability to take a great picture or have a skill set with video or just are a very creative person and want to contribute ideas you know we're always looking for that wealth and that interest in producing so we have a great group internally that can do stuff uh, you know in a moment's notice which I think is amazing And if you can build a team that can do that in a pinch, that's phenomenal, but that doesn't replace the need for agency support. We think of our agencies as strategic partners, and they have a seat at the table with us in all of the meetings and strategy sessions that we're in. So we plan for what we can, but we also embrace the serendipity in real time. So two quick examples for you. One was um, Jimmy Fallon has this segment on his show called Funkin' Go Nuts, and um, whenever he hears the word Dunkin' Donuts, he thinks of Funkin' Go Nuts, and he does this dance. And um, we had seen one of the segments. It was a particularly long segment on his show. And we came into the office the next morning, and we were all buzzing about it in our mon- in our Monday morning meeting, and um, or I think it was Tuesday morning meeting. And we're like, you know what? We should we should uh, produce. You know, the next time he does this, we should produce a video back. So we. You know, you know, no sooner did he do another segment than we actually had our um, someone on our team get into our iced coffee cup mascot costume and do a dance back for Jimmy. And we did it on Vine, quickly in the office. We didn't have agency partners available in the building, so we just did it ourselves and shared it back. And we kind of had this little virtual dance-off with Jimmy Fallon, which was really funny. Um, and it was his show handle that we were interacting with. Um, another, oppor- another example is, um, I believe it was during... Um, I think it was during the Oscars when Ellen did the Ellen selfie. Um, we also had our—we were talking to our agency team while that was happening, and we actually had them create um, our own kind of Duncan selfie, inspired by that. So we just did a bunch of our coffee cups dressed up, and and did one kind of back in real time. So I think you know it depends on the situation. It depends mm-hmm. on the skill set that you have in house versus with your agency partners. And it also depends on how long corporate reviews and approvals take, too, you know, for you to do these things quickly and um, in real time.
2: Excellent. Eka um, Trina, i got a question for you, and it's around um, more the local street level of, of visual marketing. Um, you know, Jessica, obviously with Dunkin' Donuts, you've got the franchise model. Um, and I'm interested in, in E's thoughts on how that, how that local... Uh, person and, and smaller companies now have to take the reins on their, uh, their visual identity. Um, that can also often be overwhelming for smaller entrepreneurs, but you know, uh, both with your experience with Facebook and Instagram um, and just you know, being around those two media, is that something that is becoming easier for folks or do you still see a little bit of angst there uh, in kind of the small business or small entrepreneur set uh, with regard to you know, reaching out visually? Uh, to their their fans and followers,
3: you know I um I talk about such a thing as as lo-fi um, assets, right? So um we also talk a lot about the fact that it's a now economy and we're always on the go, and people actually expect you to. Not be you know not to provide professional photography every single time. So because of that trend, what starts happening is smaller and medium businesses um, that don't have large uh, large budget of corporations are now becoming more and more creative. So if it's a local bakery, right, you take a, a, a fun images of of something that you're experimenting with, like recipes or additional you know cakes that you just came up with, or you have a person coming into the store and doing a dance, and you're putting it on a on the video just. Because they love your, uh, you know, cupcakes, and they can't live without them, right? So, so there's a lot of great things that you can do that's specifically in real time, and um, as well as people want to know what's happening, sort of, in the back end. So, it's just I talk about the fact of opening your kimono. So Jess told, talked about how the, the employees having fun with their brand, or their products, and that how they're posting it out there to their customers, and that becomes a, another huge trend that's happening is opening the kimono and talking about the brand and the product, but more in a fun way in a way where customers will relate to that so in that regard everybody who asks me what are some of the most creative examples I always say look at some of the great things that small businesses are are doing because first of all they know their local communities better than anybody they know them better than a corporation knows their customers They can relate to them in various ways they can participate in a lot of local events and having that sort of lo-fi opportunity to take images on the go, to video, to to make different videos um, as you go along, it provides a lot more um, fun and exciting uh, opportunities that specifically connect with the communities that you want to connect. You don't want to go and plaster it to everybody, but you want to connect with those local communities, and that's why those businesses are—they drive way better word of mouth and and a stronger advocacy just with that lo-fi approach to begin with.
5: Yeah, hey, this is Nick. I think that that's really smart to be being able to take that and enable everybody from whether you're a national brand or you're all the way down to your mom and pop, being able to have that that local flair I think is what really emphasizes those spheres of influence that really make much more of an impact for companies in the day-to-day lives uh, instead of just trying to do all that push messaging towards them. Uh, one question that I had for you guys, obviously I love the book, I'm a big fan of it, um, and what I wanted to ask is, is talk a little bit more about how you, you mentioned in the book how Duncan and, and other brands are using or could be using visual storytelling as a way to, or Instagram in general, as a way to test images and almost kind of using it as a testing ground for your social content, being able to see what works and what doesn't, uh, could you expand a little bit more on that idea?
4: Sure. Yeah, I think Instagram is a phenomenal testing ground um for images. You know, it's it's if you look at some more of the emerging social media platforms, although perhaps not so emerging now to some folks, but like Instagram, Pinterest, Vine, Tumblr, we've seen a lot of success um with Instagram and it's our one of our fastest growing kind of newer channels. Um we often will have kind of wacky ideas and things that we want to do in the building like manicure mondays or tie tuesdays or perhaps we'll take a donut um, that was uh, only available at one duncan in ohio and you know we use instagram to kind of we can tell you know the stories that kind of the behind the scenes stuff that happens in the building but also exclusive content that's happening at duncan's both in the u.s. and around the world that you might not be privy to otherwise and Sometimes if something just does incredibly well on Instagram we'll consider sharing it across additional channels. So I I definitely think that this would be something other businesses could apply, play around with video as well on Instagram as a way to kind of test out other short form types of video that you could use on YouTube or on your Facebook page. I actually was recently on a pa- an Instagram panel at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego and I was on the panel with a, with a woman who started a business called Simple Green Smoothies and um, she actually started her business on Instagram. She said, let me start testing out visuals of smoothies and smoothie recipes and really preaching, you know, kind of a a health and wellness kind of lifestyle through smoothies. And she had 30,000 followers on Instagram before she had a website. So, you know, there's a lot that you can do with that platform. And I think hashtags really aid in the discovery of content. So a tip I actually learned from uh, Sue B. Zimmerman, who has kind of a whole business around um, coaching on Instagram, was that if you leave, um, you can do your copy on Instagram, but if in the first comment you can actually add some hashtags in there, um, even if it's like four or five great hashtags, like Yum, or food or you know for us it might be Dunkin Donuts um, that actually disappears quite quickly when users comments on the post but it makes your content that much more discoverable to people who use hashtags to find the content on Instagram they want. So um, I think the testing um, combined with leveraging hashtags intelligently can be an extremely powerful strategy.
5: Yeah, I think that's a great example talking about the the smoothie uh, entrepreneur. I know that if you if, I don't know if you guys have been following, but in the Middle East, there's a lot more of these Instagram stores that are popping up, and I think it's it's popular also like uh, in kind of the Pacific Islands as well. Uh, but these people are actually creating and, and creating whole commerce sets based on just Instagram being able to get generate that demand, and then either sell those products by connecting with people through other channels like WeChat or or WhatsApp to be able to to connect with them to actually do the purchasing. So you're actually seeing a lot more of those, and and actually I think that. Uh, Quartz wrote a really good article, I think it was almost a year ago now, about sheep sales inside of Kuwait, being able to have and connecting different, different farmers and livestock regions. So it's really interesting how visual extends, and you'd one might think of it as a, as a bunch of different smoothies and testing different recipe ideas. They can extend all the way out to being able to, to show where your commodities are and what type of products that you're actually able to sell if the communication is there in the audience.
4: Absolutely.
1: One thing I wanted to mention before we move to the next uh, segment is uh, Nick and I were, were talking a moment ago uh, in, in the chat how delighted we were that you had SlideShare included in the book. It's so often overlooked as a visual storytelling uh, platform, just often overlooked it as, as, a, as a technique overall. And, um, e, I thought maybe you would just comment on that a little bit and, and you know why you felt that SlideShare needed to be in the book and, and some of your tips for it.
3: Uh absolutely love Slideshare. Big huge fan even before it got acquired by LinkedIn, which is now that it it, it is acquired by LinkedIn, it's gonna be even more powerful. Um to, to start off, I will say that SlideShare is becoming this the sort of sub search for business information and business education. Um, instead of going on Google, people actually go to Slideshare and search for facts, for statistics. Because they know they're gonna get it in presentation format, they're gonna get it into visual format and a very Short and snackable way. Um, if if the presentations are done well, um, and you know, remember, I you know, I come from a corporate world where you know, at Intel we sort of had this phrasing, "Dev by PowerPoint." So meaning, you know, if your strategy isn't on PowerPoint, it actually is non-existent. Um, so I, and, unless you can present it in a PowerPoint format uh, to to the executives, um, it isn't happening. You're not going to get budget for it. Um, so a lot of corporate America uses that format and it's very familiar to them. So being able to grab something and reference it later, or just learn a ton of information in a very short but very visual and consumable, easy for your mind and and your eyes, uh, way is is very powerful. So what brands started doing is they started building their brand pages on SlideShare in a creative way, and a lot of um, different brands, uh, even in healthcare, started to put their annual reports, annual financial reports, on SlideShare. You can find them there. Then there's there's an opportunity to do videos, and as of uh, late last year, an opportunity to also put infographics um, into your SlideShare channel as well. And some of the brands like IBM and Dell are starting to build actually sub networks on SlideShare of their. what they call SMEs, which is subject matter experts um, in different areas, so they would create a bigger, larger you know IBM brand or you know Dell brand uh, channel, and then there would be channels feeding into personal channels of people that talk about IT, cloud computing, et cetera, et cetera, the list is long. So um, just not just the rise of even visual storytelling on SlideShare, but also the way people use it to run their businesses and use it as a trusted network where they can get the right information in the right format, um, add it to sort of the popularity, um, and and we think it's, it's only going to continue to grow now that it's actually integrated with LinkedIn, a big professional network network.
5: Yeah, I think SlideShare is awesome. My one little tidbit, tips and trick that I have for SlideShare is, that, did you know that you can actually put those lead forms inside of videos, inside of Twitter ads? So in essence, it becomes a supercharged Twitter video ad, and I don't think Twitter or YouTube actually offer a similar service. So I happen to be looking through it and was served up a promoted video that was hosted on SlideShare, but it also asked me for my email in the middle of it. So that's I think, is a really cool way for folks to actually get more value out of their paid media spend if they're going to... On some of those other channels as well.
3: Oh, absolutely. In my in my experience, um, we, we've actually driven leads at Brand We've driven leads off of our presentation. So just you have you know slide uh, SlideShare with with the statistics that nobody else aggregated before. And you know remember that nowadays content aggregators actually can be more powerful than content creators. And so that lead gen aspect of SlideShare could be a huge a driver not just of traffic and awareness, but also generating leads. You're absolutely. Right.
5: Yeah, perfect. So I have one more question and I think that uh, Jay is going to get into the, our next segments here, the Holy Social and uh, the number of the week. Um, one of the things that, that I have been dealing a lot with uh, at Expion is really trying to help figure out how brands, if you start to grow and if you're somebody like Duncan or if you're somebody like say a Coca-Cola who's you have all these folks who are sharing images or creating images all over the world. How do you guys or how how would you say or how have you seen some of these larger brands being able to score that content so you are actually sharing the best performing content or being able to spread that to say in Intel when you're using an advocate program and, and spreading that to thousands of different employees? How are you how are, you know, some of these brands that you guys have been seeing able to actually identify which are the best performing pieces of content?
4: Hey, this is Jessica here. So I think, um, you know, obviously there are, uh, you know, a number of tools and services out there, but I also think it kind of comes down to, like, the right piece of content at the right time. You know, at least for us at Duncan, you know, we're always, Mm -hmm. we're a very real-time, nimble, on-the-go brand. So we look a lot about kind of, popular topics of conversation. We look at photos to to see if there's all of a sudden a drastic trend. Like a great example is during the holidays we bring in kind of seasonal kind of branded coffee cups for the holidays and we always kind of get conflicting answers within the building of when they're really going to hit nationwide. And usually we're able through kind of visual search on social to understand, okay, we're seeing these, you know, all over the country now. It's now it's a great time to capture those images and share them. um, In terms of, you know, how to select the, the top performing visuals, I think it goes back to just really, ha- you know, understanding who your brand is, really having a, an eye, and just really being willing to test and learn, too, you know, Sometimes what works really well on Facebook won't translate well on Instagram, so it's also kind of a platform specific best practice as well. Um, one brand that I think does a great job at some of the user generated content is um, I love GE's campaign uh, with their, they did a six second science lesson campaign through Vine, which they then translated oh, yeah, into. This amazing crowdsourced virtual science fair so they looked for kind of the best of the best pieces of content and they created a Tumblr blog to really curate all of the amazing kind of videos that people were sharing from Vine um, and from other channels to do to replicate these science lessons so um, and they you know they really had a system to kind of make sure that the best performing and, and top content was kind of top of fold so people could really engage and and um, hopefully, inspire them to try a six-second science lesson at home, and then share their content as well.
5: Yeah, that's really interesting. It sounds like you know, if they're able to kind of extend the campaign or have kind of the UGC component after they're created content, they can almost set the tone for people to, to ideally have them create the type of aesthetic that they're looking for as well. So that's that's really smart on GE's part.
1: Good stuff. Let's get into uh, the next section. Jeff, get prepared for the social media number of the week. And while you prepare your mathematical bon mot, allow me to remind people that this here podcast is brought to you by the good people at Jan Rain. Leaders in social sign in, social login, and social data collection and management services. Uh, Jan Rain has a brand new case study. It's really interesting that you can download uh, at ar.gy slash New Zealand. And you may be thinking, Jay, why is the URL slash New Zealand? Here's why. The New Zealand Herald, which is the big newspaper out there in New Zealand, increased visitors to their mobile apps by 18%. They increased users who comment on their site by 30%. They uh, increased social referrals by 24%. And here's the big one. They increased website user registrations by 500%. Lessons that all of us can use. Download the new case study from Janrain right now at argy New Zealand. Also, our good friends at Expion, Nick's uh, company, has a centralized platform that empowers global brands and agencies and retailers to manage their social marketing uh, efforts. They have a uh, downloadable ebook that you can get at ar.gy/fave50. That's ar.gy/fave50. Uh, they analyzed the Facebook posts of sixty—well, actually sixteen thousand—separate Facebook posts. Nick did not do all of those. He could, but he did not do all of those. Sixteen thousand uh, Facebook posts across fifty major retailers, and figured out what really works on Facebook. So, if you have the book that we've been talking about today, "The Power of Visual Storytelling." Available in great booksellers everywhere, and if you're on Facebook, you get the Xpion Report at ar.gy/fave50. You will have your Facebook problem solved. Okay, Jeff, it's time for the social media number of the week.
0: Excellent.
2: So uh, this week we're tapping into some Canadian research that uh, purports to have determined when. At what age over the hill begins? So, this is an open question for you, uh, Jay and Nick. At what age do you think your ability to perceive, analyze, and respond begins to decline abruptly? Um, so 70, 70,
1: 72. The answer is
2: the age of 24. 24. Wow. Psychology doctoral student Joe Thompson teamed up with uh, Professor Mike Blair and a statistics student to analyze a huge big data set gleaned from the gaming records of over 3,000 StarCraft II players and determined that at age of 24 is when they are at their peak in terms of perception, analysis, and response. And after that, it, pers- it uh, declines precipitously. So, uh, if, if you ever needed to feel old, that will make you feel old. And uh, I think it's relevant to the social conversation because we often, I think, you know, feel, at least, uh, Jay, I don't know what you think about when you're out, you know, out there talking, what you experience. A lot of folks always feel like they're, they're behind, that things are passing them by. Uh, and I think this is actually, this number is so laughable that it makes me uh, realize that, look, well, that might be the height of your ability to play a game. Uh, There is something called wisdom and experience that does come into play uh, as you get older.
1: Well, I I have lived this thesis. Um, When I was 21, uh, I had the good fortune of actually having been kind of pretty involved in marketing in a fairly serious way since I was 17 or 18. And I literally thought like, hey, why am I not running this agency? you know i'd been out of college like four days I'm like why am i not in charge of this thing like i there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing else that i need to know um and the older i get the less i i realize um that i do know and as a father it's you know it, it's unbelievable right like all the stuff your parents told you, like someday you're gonna appreciate me or someday you're gonna realize I was right. <laughs> and and you're just like rolling your eyes the entire time. Trust yes. me, for any of you out there who either don't have children yet or have very young children, it's all true. Uh, it and, and literally you can say it till you're blue in the face. Uh, but you do not realize it, uh, unless you have some, uh, some miles on you. It's just, it is, it is an unbelievable, like Hakuna Matata circle of life. I would hold up my cat right now if he was in the room, uh, kind of deal. Well, and
2: as we were talking about before the recording uh, began today, sometimes a very fast response time in social media is not exactly what you need. You need a moment to pause and reflect. Um, I don't know that we'll get into details, but, uh, uh, U.S. Airways had a rather uh, not safe for work uh, tweet that folks can Google those two phrases, and you will find it quickly. Uh, be warned, though, it is truly not safe for work what happened. A cut and paste that uh, will get somebody fired undoubtedly, and probably because their response time was a little too fast. They didn't think about what they were
0: doing.
1: Well, yeah, that's it, it, it kind of conspires to, to cause some problems where, you know, businesses are being asked to, to act faster and faster and faster. But, you know, the faster you act, the easier it is to make decisions. Um, this afternoon's U.S. USAIR um, scenario, which we won't recap here because we can't uh, embed any of the evidence on the blog. But um, some of you will know what we're talking about by the time you hear this episode. You know, that's an example of people trying to be very responsive and just not paying attention to details and accidents and mistakes happen. Yeah.
2: And, and, and it's there is something to be said about uh, you know the ability to process quickly, but um, you know, again, I think the best best marketing teams are ones that are you know diverse both in terms of age and experience and race and gender because you're bringing these things to bear um, and you're thinking about ultimately the customer's needs. So uh, while I may be over the hill by uh, a couple of decades, uh, I feel youthful. I don't know about uh, you, Jay, you Nick, but uh, uh, this uh, this survey certainly brought a smile to my face.
1: That is a good one. I certainly feel very youthful. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. You are youthful compared to us, Nick. You're like... You know, you're like the fresh blood on the podcast. Um, speaking of Nick, it is going to be time for Holy Social. Uh, before, uh, let me uh, queue up a couple more uh, sponsor recognitions. And uh, while I do that, you get ready for Holy Social. Uh, this podcast, this very podcast that you're listening to, is also brought to you by the good people at Exact Target Marketing Cloud, a world leader in interactive marketing software powering the email web, mobile, and social programs. Uh, of thousands and thousands and thousands of companies, including the the Twitter of uh, Dunkin' Donuts, we found out a moment ago. Uh, exact Target has some very interesting uh, new uh, information for you about email. The perfect email, right? So the perfect marketing email should do three things. It should look good. It should work well, uh, and it should get results. And Exact Target has a new three-part toolkit called the Email Design Toolkit that addresses all three of those with proven tips, proven advice on how to take your uh, email program, including conversion rate, to the next level. If anybody knows anything about sending effective email, uh, it's Exact Target. Jeff, I don't know how many emails you guys send a day now, but it's it's a big, 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 big number. Like I.
2: Th- I think it's at least three. I think it's higher than three, but I don't
1: know the upside. And I think that's in billions, right? It is uh, It is a lot of emails. Oh, yes, so, yes, probably. Uh, ask a lot. the, you know, if you want to know, if you want, <laughs> want your email to be good, and you do, uh, you need to uh, download this free toolkit from our friends at Exact Target Marketing Cloud. You can get that right now at ar.gy slash design tools. That's ar.gy slash design tools. All lowercase. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, this very podcast is brought to you by the good people at Cision, the leading provider of software services and tools to the public relations industry. Uh, They have a cool tip sheet as well uh, called six tips to help amplify your content. You know, we've talked about this on this podcast in the past. It doesn't really matter how good your content is if nobody knows about it. Very relevant to today's show with Katrina and Jessica talking about visual storytelling. In many cases, visual content assets are used as an amplification device Cision has a great tip sheet all about amplifying your content, how to make sure that people actually digest this content that you've slavishly created. Grab that for free right now at ar.gy slash amplify. That's ar.gy slash amplify. And thanks, as always, to the good people at Cision. Okay, Nick, it is time for Holy Social Yes, and for this
5: week's Holy Social, considering we have E and Jessica on, I wanted to keep it somewhat visual. Uh, so the Sacramento Kings, they did a selfie Sunday recently. And you know it's interesting because sports marketing is kind of an interesting industry if you think about it. You're always creating experiences for fans to come into the games, but you also want to create experiences that make advertisers more likely to associate and advertise with your team and then also sell things too. So you have a lot of different angles to tech if you're just one team designed with creating content. But the Sacramento Kings really have been working hard this season to tap into new technology to build a lot of -of one-of-a-kind experiences for their fans. So this week for Selfie Sunday, they actually hosted uh, the great Paja Stojakovic, who was drafted by the Kings, and he became their new tech ambassador. They actually have him wearing Google Glass uh, and actually hosted a live hangout on the sidelines of the actual arena right before the game. And they included the team's owner, The owner came down and was on the the Hangout as well. They also had folks from cheerleaders, and on top of that, they have 10 pairs of Google Glass, which they've actually given to different players and cheerleaders and, and personnel to be able to take in video content, mix all that together and broadcast that both online, but also inside of the Jumbotron. So they were creating this really awesome Google Hangout where they're activating people from all over the world and obviously tapping into a global personality like Pagea certainly helped for that. But then they also were able to give people uh, some some love for being able to to participate by broadcasting some of those on the Sacramento TV broadcast, um, but also inside of the billboards. They also did a lot of other things as well, like uh, taking selfies with fans and giving out a lot of prizes and visiting people inside of the stands who were taking certain selfies in certain sections. Uh, And they also hooked up the quadcopter to do a drone selfie with the King's social team, with Peja, and with a number of these fans who had been posting content throughout the game. Um, and really, the takeaway from that is, is, you know, as we see more of these brands creating kind of real-time engagement or visual type experiences in social, I think it's really important that we have to spread that access and spread the opportunities around. Uh, so whether that's in the form of giant screens throughout the arena or carrying that over online through, you know, curating photos inside of on your website from Instagram or Twitter, or even bringing that inside of a mobile app. Uh, being able to extend these visual contents so everybody's able to see and everybody's able to participate, not just on your social channels but off, is I think something that we're going to see a lot more brands begin to do as we move forward in this visual revolution of social.
1: That's a super good example. That a and that's a good holy social. And uh, the Kings have, have done a nice job. They've um, they they've done a lot of uh, social media work for a long time, and they're definitely one of the best sports teams out there, kind of uh, pushing the envelope. We should get those guys on the show sometime. I don't think we've ever had an NBA guest. We've had uh, hockey um, with James from the Tampa Bay Lightning, and we've had baseball uh, with uh, the San Francisco Giants with Brian. But I don't think we've ever had anybody from the NBA uh, we should Those make that happen. Great
5: guys. Yeah. I think that we can. Big shout out to Andrew Nicholson from the King social media team. I know that we'll probably be talking to you soon, Andrew.
1: Yeah. Let's get him on the show. They won't, they won't be playing much longer. He have everything to do. <laughs> oh. Hey, you know, I call it so as I seize it. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, right. that's the way Fair it works. Enough. Fair enough. Okay. Let's, uh, let's wrap this show up with, uh, two big questions, uh, for our fabulous guests, Katrina, Walter, Jessica Giglio, the co-authors of the book, The Power of Visual Storytelling, which you need to buy. Uh, I'm going to ask you each of these questions because we want to have you both on record, even though you could probably answer them the same. Uh, Jess, let's start with you. Uh, first question, what one tip would you give people looking to become a social pro?
4: Um, my tip would be, um, I would say, Pick a company and a brand that you can get behind. I think, you know, for me, I've really carefully curated the the companies that I've worked for that that I'm an advocate and that I'm passionate for, Um, and I think that really shines through in the work that I do for them because I'm a fan, I'm a consumer, I live and breathe the brand, and I think that comes out um, in the work and my enthusiasm is um, extremely genuine uh, for, for that company.
1: That's a really, really good tip. And uh, I'm so glad you, you, you went there that uh, it's, it, you know, there's an old saying and I repeat it here. Most people have heard it, but it, it's, it's popular because it's true that if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. Uh, and despite the fact that you love donuts, uh, you also love the company <laughs> uh, and it definitely shows up in your work. Um, e, how about uh, how about for you? What one tip would you give people looking to become a social pro?
3: So to extend on Jess's answer, I, I would say um, never stop learning and never assume that you know everything, especially in the realm of uh, social business and marketing. Um, and just continue to consume information like you are out of college and you're just learning your job um because everything is changing so fast and one of the things that you need to to, to do is to get outside of your comfort zone and talk to other people in the industry who do the same thing um to your professionals inside your To other professionals inside your company, and just consume every. Make sure you spend an hour a day just reading the news, the um, the case studies, and making sure you build your knowledge. Um, But but also you build your network because I think eventually that'll give you a very good idea of what's happening beyond just your cubicle.
1: Well said. And actually, that's the exact reason why I started this podcast. Um, Jess, how about uh, for you, the last question, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be? It'd probably be E. Katrina, but that'd be a a terrible answer. But uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) who who would it be if you could do a Skype call with any living person?
4: Oh, my goodness. You put me on the spot here, Jay. Um, I would say, um, gosh, um, hmm. I would probably say, I mean, I'd I'd love to meet Oprah. I know it's such a cliche to answer, but I think that I just, I love the way that her genuine enthusiasm and the way that she connects with people is something just really phenomenal and amazing. And I'd love to kind of ask some really pointed questions and, and see if it could help further inspire me in my life and, and how I engage and interact and build relationships.
1: I love it. That's a great one. E, last one for you. Uh, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be?
3: Dalai Lama.
1: Oh, nice. You know what we need to do?
3: And I think... I yeah.
1: We need a Skype call with Oprah yeah. and the Dalai Lama at the same time because that would be too I mean it's like <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's big.
4: That's going to be explosive for Andy, sure Katrina but I think, and I we could interview them that would be amazing. <laughs> there you go.
3: There you go. There there's a plan. And I, I think my answer doesn't doesn't really need need an explanation I think it's just there's so many things that 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 you can talk to and and the wisdom that you can get from from a conversation with Dalai Lama and and just the mentality of balanced life and, and just so much more beyond. I think it's just stepping outside of just talking to people in your industry and in your profession and other accomplished um, women and just just kind of reaching even beyond and trying to understand also the spiritual side of life as well.
1: I wonder if the Lama is on Skype. That actually fascinates me. I wonder if that's true. He could very well be.
3: <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised.
1: <laughs> that would be awesome. Ladies, thank you very much. You have been uh, yeah, he's on Twitter. Let's just tweet him and see if he's on Skype. Let's see if we can hook this up. Let's get him (laughs) let's get him on the show. You guys were great. Thanks so much. Uh, Congratulations on the book. It's called The Power of Visual Storytelling. Uh, All three of the Social Pros hosts very much recommend it. Pick it up uh, anywhere that books are available. Thanks so much for being here on the Social Pros podcast. uh, Next week, we have uh, John Mark Troyer from VMware, who has an unbelievable community. Like, that company is just, like, doing everything. Like, if you take the book... And, and basically say, okay, we need to be good at Pinterest and we need to be good at Twitter, we need to be good at Facebook. They're good at everything. This VMware case study and what they've done is really amazing. We're going to talk to John next week on the show. I am Jay Baer. He is Jeff Rohrs from Exact Target Marketing Cloud. He is Nick Cicero from Xpeon. This has been Social Pros. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks Decision, Jan Rain, XPN, and Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company.